Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Uh, I was sitting on my couch on Friday studying for today's message, and... Um, I was sitting there and I had the window open and I was looking out, I was looking south and it was sunny and beautiful and I was thinking to myself, I'm glad I'm on the couch in the air conditioner. No, I'm just kidding. I was, uh, I was actually just enjoying the view, but as I was studying, I, I started to hear this rumble and I thought to myself, that's a little weird because it's Friday. Normally the blues aren't practicing on Friday. They're normally on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and so it's actually not the right time anyways. What's going on? Oh, maybe I'm just hearing stuff. And I kept reading, and then I heard some more rumbling, and then more and more. And it dawned on me that I was hearing thunder. But I was confused because as I looked out the window, it was perfectly sunny and beautiful. And yet, I was hearing what I wasn't seeing. So I decided to pull up my app of the radar. And when I did so, I looked, and this giant storm was to the north. See, I was looking out the house to the south, but the storm was coming from the north. But I knew it was coming because I heard the rumble of the thunder and the lightning. And it reminded me in that moment that that is what Matthew chapter 24 is all about. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 24. What I want to say to you today is that every generation since Jesus believed that they were on the edge of the second coming of Christ. Without a doubt, every single generation looked at the signs of the times and they said, surely we must be the generation that sees the return of Christ Jesus. In fact, the disciples themselves felt like they were going to see Jesus return in their own lifetime. And that's not an uncommon thing because when we look at the signs, we say, wow, this is bad. But what has happened was, or what has happened is, the signs of his return are getting more, uh, more deliberate, more intensified, and more common. And so I would say to you that we are as ready now for his return as any generation has ever been ready and I think that what we're seeing actually is more than any generation has ever seen because never before could the fulfillment of prophecy be fulfilled like it can now. Namely, the gospel will be preached to all nations. Because of technology, that is possible right now. You cannot go anywhere in the world where there is not someone with a cell phone. You go into the Amazon jungle, they may not have refrigerators, they may not have working lights, but they're going to have a satellite and a cell phone. I'm just telling you, it's amazing how far technology has traveled. And you go, wait a minute, no refrigerator, no lights. How can they have a, just, you know what I mean, right? All right, so Matthew chapter 24. What I'm going to show you is a passage of scripture that has been preached throughout the centuries to remind believers of the state of their heart or how their hearts should be conditioned and what state the heart must be in at all times. And the punchline is this. The bottom line is that our hearts and our lives should be ready as if Jesus were returning today. We must live 
like he's not returning for the next 20 years, but we must live like he's returning today. Does that make sense? We're supposed to be always ready, but understanding that it could be longer than we anticipate. It's kind of a weird dualistic way of living, but that's the point of the passage. So here's, here's what um, is going on here. Chapter 24, Matthew, verse 1. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple complex, his disciples came and called his attention to the temple buildings. And, they, and he replied to them, Do you see all these things? I assure you, not a stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus makes the statement that the temple is going to be destroyed. Now in Jerusalem, the temple was the, 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 the representation of the presence of God. The temple was the holiest place. It was the place where the high priest would go in. It was the place where God was, was, uh, was seen to dwell. Now obviously God doesn't live in temples, but for the Jews, for the people who were hearing this, they would have, they would have known this as the holiest of holy places on this side of heaven. And Jesus said, a catastrophic event was going to happen. The temple was going to be torn down. And there will be no stone remain on top of each other. Now, hearing that to them would have been similar to us as, an, as Americans hearing our world uh, government is going to totally collapse. It'll be complete anarchy. Um, um, Washington, D.C. will be obliterated from the face of the earth. Now, we can't imagine that. We, we can't even comprehend that, but it would, it would be the, a similar kind of understanding plus some. See, for us, our faith is not in government. It, that's, that's how we're run on a human level, on an earthly level, but we have a faith in God. But for, to say that the temple would be destroyed would be to mess with the political and the spiritual part of the Jews. So for them, it would be the absolute worst possible thing and it was confusing to hear that. I say that and I make such a big deal out of it because when we talk about Jesus returning, it, it sounds implausible to people. When we hear that there is great tribulation and judgment coming, it seems far-fetched because we have lived for so long without that that we think to ourselves, wait a minute, that can't really happen. But the truth is there are two kinds of people when they read this passage. There are those who say, ah, hogwash. That's just a bunch of writing. That's not going to happen. And then there are the others who will say, we need to recognize that there are signs that Jesus said, and we need to know that if Jesus says it, it's going to happen. So at some point from here on into the future, there is going to be everything that Jesus said was going to happen, which would ultimately be great and terrible days that we've never seen or even imagined we could possibly see from before. And so Jesus then is with his disciples and they're on the Mount of Olives and this is known as the Olivet Discourse. His disciples come to him privately and they said to him, they asked two questions. When will these things happen and what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So when is this going to happen and what's the sign? They wanted to know a time and they wanted to know a method or they wanted to know a how. And so Jesus gives them the, both the time and the how. But he doesn't give them a specific time on a calendar. He doesn't say, okay, pull out your iPhones and go to your calendar. No, he said there is a time, but the time only the Father knows. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. But rather than needing to know the exact time, you just need to be aware that it is going to happen. And these are the things that will tell you 
that you're on the horizon of this event. Verse 4, Jesus replied, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not alarmed, because, of these, you, because these must also take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. So let's start right there. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. I remember when we had our first child, Sarah. Shannon had a bag packed for it must have been a month. I mean, she had every, she had CDs in there. Remember CDs? Like, you know, quiet, soft music. Um, I, I at one point thought about switching out her CD with something like rap or country or something, but I figured that wouldn't be a good idea. She had, uh, you know, towels and soaps and lotions. I mean, you know, everything that a new mom is going to think of, uh, you know, and I'm glad she did that because when it was time to go, I was like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? But she had her bags packed and she was waiting probably at least a month with this thing in the bedroom ready to go. But it wasn't until she started having the contractions that she knew that time was getting close. Now, there's this thing for pregnant moms is, that you know about. It's called the Braxton Hicks contractions. Did I get that word right? Those are fakies, right? Those are, this is what it is going to be like, kind of, but it's not the real thing yet. But I'm giving you a warning that it's going to get here and then some. Well, I remember that particular night, I was sound asleep and she woke me up. <sighs> like midnight or something. I'm sure she knows the exact timing. She woke me up and she's like, it's time. I'm pretty sure it was like, it's time. I'm pretty sure it was more like that because she probably knew that it would be an 18-hour delivery. And this, of course, was my first child, which does explain a lot. Um, no, I'm just saying it was, it was, it was the first child, Right? And, and the first child is always the hardest. It's always, always the, the most laborious to, to, to happen. Get that, laborious. Um, so we go to the doctor, and the, and the doctor's just kind of like casually coming in. Hey, how you doing? You know, we're thinking, it's now, it's now. And he's like, oh, you got a long way to go. Some 18 hours later, the baby finally arrives. But here's the thing about birth pains. They start with a certain intensity and degree of frequency, and then they get closer together. And then they get more uh, difficult. And if you've had a baby, you know that by the time you're ready to have the baby, you are ready to have the baby, right? You're like, I don't care what you got to do. Get this thing out of there. Am I right? It's one of those moments where the, the, the pressure is so intense and the body is in so much um, um, uh, a turmoil that you just want it to happen. You're ready. That's exactly what we're seeing and what we will see in the world when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. See, we're looking at a world that right now is way crazy. We're looking at a world that is going nuts, not just on a natural level, but on a people level. And it frustrates a lot of people to think that this is the case. And we just want to all get along. And we just want peace. And we just want harmony. And we just want all these natural disasters to stop. And we want all of these, these uh, fes uh, famines and pestilences to stop. But here's the thing. We're not going to stop these things. I I'm not being fatalistic. I'm just saying that Jesus said, oh, you think it's bad now? 
You just wait. And the reason that it's going to get worse is not because God is a mean or an, uh, uh, or, or an unkind God. The reason it is going to get worse is because the heart of man is fully coming out. God is withdrawing his spirit. He is withholding his presence in our world to let evil fully take its course in a way that we recognize I need God or I will do it all on my own. And ultimately what I see in this passage and what I see all throughout scripture is there's a constant battle between who we will trust in. Will we trust in the name of the Lord our God or will we trust in our own name? I hear it all the time. Science, 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 science. Science is going to save us. Well, how's that worked out for us so far? Because here's the deal. We might be able to fix one thing with science, but we're not going to fix everything with science. Listen, I'm not against science. I love to look at science. I really do. I love to see the technical parts of it. But the idea that I can just trust in science and science will fix everything is a man-centered argument that has failed over and over and over. Because what we thought was good science yesterday will be bunk science tomorrow in a lot of different areas. It used to be that the world was flat, Right? I mean, we, we could name a hundred different things times a hundred, and we could see that science is constantly changing. And I, that's, a, that's actually not probably the way to say it. But my point is, we think as man that we're going to fix all these problems and find world peace and end world hunger and all these things. And as the people of God, we need to recognize that something bigger is going on here. Amen? This is a cataclysmic event that is going to happen, and the birth pains is what we're seeing as the, the arrow that is pointing to this cataclysmic event of the second coming, if I can say it that way. So here's, here's the scripture. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. The first thing we need to recognize is that the people of God, excuse me, have got to develop some discernment. Can I get a witness? We need to stop believing everything we hear because we're told by somebody who looks smart. We need to recognize that there's something bigger going on in the world. Now see, right now, most everybody in their mind just went to a topic. Somewhere. I don't know what topic it is, but see, we, we are so on edge about this that we are almost wired or conditioned to place topics in, we're, I mean, we're ready to fight even right now. And I didn't even say nothing, but we need discernment. Because would you agree with me that truth is hard to discern now? Oh gosh, I, I don't want you to miss the point. But we've got to move beyond the earthly things that we see and move into the spiritual realm of seeing what God is doing. If you think that your government loves you, you either haven't lived long enough or you're incredibly naive. Is that fair enough? If you think that greed does not run our country, then you don't have your eyes open. Because it's run every country from the foundation of the world. 
You can go to the Babylonians, you can go to the Romans, you can go to the Persians, you can go to the Syrians. Every single time you go and you look. Now, I'm not to say, not to say that there hasn't been some good things going on. I'm just saying, overall, the heart of mankind is wicked and selfish. And if that heart is not fully submitted to the Lordship of Christ Jesus, it is going to go to the natural place of the heart, which is greed and selfishness and sinfulness. That's where it goes. Now, see, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Are there some great things? Yes, there are. But I'm not trusting in my government to save us. I could point to 10 different things right now in which they've miserably failed. However, I'm not against my government. I pray for them, and I, and I pray that God would give them wisdom. But I'm not going to trust that they're just going to do the right thing. Because governments don't typically just do the right thing. Because there's humans as part of government. So we need discernment. To know who and what to believe. Listen, we can pick on governments, we can also pick on churches. You know, there are churches right now who are spewing right in this moment an, a false gospel. They're saying that Jesus' most, most greatest desire for you is for you to be happy and wealthy and completely perfect in everything in your life. That is a false gospel. You want me to prove it to you? Go to Afghanistan right now and you ask those believers if that's the gospel. Because they ain't rich. They ain't happy in terms of how we know happy, but there is joy. But they're giving their lives as we speak. Let me tell you about the gospel. If the gospel doesn't work in every corner of the world, it is not the gospel. Because the gospel is timeless. The gospel is not man-centered. It is Christ-centered. And the gospel is not about living a happier, better life. The gospel is about surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the trial, the gospel is what is secure and anchors your soul. So we need great discernment. And I really should go faster because I see the time. So this discernment, though is what seems to be hard to find, but we get discernment by asking God for discernment. And James, if anyone lacks wisdom, he must ask of God who gives liberally to all of those who would ask. Discernment and wisdom go hand in hand. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but we need discernment. Jesus said, many will deceive you, many will come in my name, you are going to hear of rumors of wars, and you're going to hear of wars, see that you are not alarmed. That means don't be discouraged and don't be frightened when you see and hear of wars and rumors of wars. You know, I don't know that the original hearers could actually totally appreciate this, but rumors of wars to me is perfectly uh, uh, understood when we see news stories of wars in places that we've never been, right? We see them with our eyes, but then we hear rumors of them through things that we read and things that we see online and things like that. It is this massive, overwhelming amount of casualty in the world. Those are man-made things, but what about famines and what about earthquakes? And I think we could throw hurricanes in there for just good measure, right? 
You know, I did a little research on this, and here's what I found. In 2020, in the United States alone, there were $22 billion disasters. $22 billion disasters. Worldwide, I think the number is like 220-something. Major disasters. Right now, here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a hurricane that's going just north of New York. We're dealing with a hurricane that either just went or is about to go somewhere around in Mexico. Isn't it funny how you forget about things when, they're no longer, when you're no longer in the path, right? Right now, we're dealing with massive wildfires out west. Millions and millions of acres are on fire. Lake Mead, for the first time ever, is at critical uh, low capacity. Lake Mead is what supplies water to that whole desert region, and it's drying up. You think that's not a problem? That's a big, big problem. You've got stories of hurricanes. You've got stories of uh, uh, all kinds of bugs and things. When I listen to this, I think to myself, man, this world is a dangerous place to live. It's almost like from every side, there's something going to get you. Oh, but wait, there's more. We're on a five-year high for famine worldwide. Over 50 million people are desperately hungry, meaning they have no food and they're probably going to die from famine. Nations are in uproar. You've got Nigeria, you've got Burkina Faso, you've got Syria, you've got Yemen, you've got Afghanistan, right? You've got Venezuela, you've got Haiti, you've got Cuba, all of these things. Have you ever known a time in the world where so much at one time was falling apart? Oh, by the way, let's add to that a worldwide plague that we're now going into year two. And it keeps mutating and it keeps changing. See, right now, if you're like most people, you've got this anxiety. You're going, man, just hearing about it is making me nervous. Listen, I'm not downplaying these things, but what I am saying is look out the window in the right direction and listen to the thunder because what you're seeing is the birth pains of the return of Jesus Christ. What you are seeing is the world shaking and creaking because Jesus is going to take his rightful place in this world. He's coming. He's coming. But we're only seeing the beginnings of, earth, of the pains. I want you to think about all of the tragedy that we're seeing. The Bible says that it's the beginning. It's only this big compared to what it's going to be. That is unfathomable to me. If you follow biblical prophecy, uh, we don't have time this morning, I'll just mention it briefly. What is coming are times of great pestilence. COVID-19 doesn't hold a candle to the pestilence that is coming. And that's hard to say that, but it's true. What we've seen in terms of natural disasters is nothing compared to what is coming. We know that there is an army of 200 million people who will fight against the armies of the Lord. We know that one third of the population of the world will be killed. Now, to somebody who's not a Bible-believing, a Bible-following believer, they're going to go, oh, that's just crazy. No, we're going to fix this stuff. We're trying really hard, aren't we? You know what the world's solution is? The world's solution is, let's let science fix it all. 
Global warming is the problem. That's the problem. If we fix global warming, all of these things will be fixed. Have you ever noticed that that is, that is now the, the, the mantra? Listen, folks, we're not going to fix global warming. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to be ugly here, but we're not going to fix the world's problems by, by, by fixing a climate issue. That's not the problem. The heart of men is the problem. It's the sinfulness of mankind that is the problem. People aren't just going to magically love each other because, oh, it's, it's now not globally warm. I mean, what, how, how do we do this? And here's how I know it's a heart problem. Because even within the people of God, there is going to be a great division. And we're seeing it now. Listen to what the next part of the passage says. Verse 9. Then they will hand you over to persecution and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then they will take, or, or then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. That's a big deal. So believers will be handed over to be persecuted. We're seeing that even now. I don't, I, I haven't seen this firsthand. I, like, I don't have somebody there giving me this text, but I've seen reports that last week when this stuff all broke loose, many of the Afghanistan believers said, we fully expect that within the next two weeks, we will see Jesus face to face. And yet, their courage and their faith, unwavering. We could escape but we choose to remain for the sake of the gospel. I've also heard reports of believers running to the mountains to hide. And the scripture actually talks about running to the mountains, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Persecution for us is over there. It's been happening since Jesus was on the earth but we're seeing it more and more as in, in our generation, as much if not more than ever before. I mentioned Burkina Faso. There's massive persecution for believers there. All over Nigeria, there's massive persecution for believers. Syria, Turkey, all of these things. Afghanistan. But the problem, or, or, or not the problem, what, what the, the next thing that's going to happen though because of the persecution or in the midst of the persecution is the church will have to be, the church will be divided in a way that will separate those who are believers and who are not. Or those who are, who are fully committed to the gospel and those who are just here because it made their life better. Listen to what the scripture says. It says that many, verse 10, will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Now, it's hard to translate this, this phrase, take offense, but one of the things that it could mean is that many will be offended. Many will get their feelings hurt. Many will have a wedge driven in between. Many will, will, will fall into biz, uh, bitterness. They will fall away, and they will even betray one another and turn each other in. I have to tell you that I've never seen this much offense, this many offensive pe offended people in all of my life talked a little bit about last week. Have you noticed how offended we are? 
And have you noticed that the people of God are right in the middle of it as well? We get offended about everything, it seems. As a preacher, I have to guard my words the entire message because I know that people will not always take what I'm saying at face value. They'll insert their own rose-colored glasses of what they want to hear or what they think that's being said, and they'll make up their own narrative and storyline when I never even intended to go to that place in the first place. Does that make sense? And think about it. The devil's pretty smart. He's going to divide us on the inside with things on the outside that really should stay on the outside and not bring them on the inside. I can tell you two things that are dividing the church now. Let me tell you. You can tell me. What can't you? What are they? Vaccines and masks, right? How many of y'all guessed that? Here's the deal. That is a divisive issue in our country. That's a divisive issue in the world. Very divisive. There are churches who haven't split number-wise, but they've split in their hearts over these very issues. And it's not like it's not like there's a, can we all just get along? And, and it's not like, a, hey, I don't think you're right. I think I'm, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. It's a, you don't love me or you're just a sheep. Have you noticed that? Even our language has become very clear about how walled up we are. Folks, I want to tell you something. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where I fall on this. Jesus commands me to take care of my temple, not yours. Your temple is your responsibility. You better do what God tells you to do with your temple. Because I can't. But I better do what God tells me to do with my temple. I better be wise. I better be kind. I better be loving. But I better make sure that I'm doing as I believe God is leading me to do. And the funny thing about that is this. I can't judge you about your temple and you shouldn't judge me about my temple. Amen? But how does that work in the midst of a pandemic? How do we do this? Because we feel strongly about things, don't we? How do we do this if we feel so strongly about it? We do it by choosing to love the other person and to respect them and trust that they hear from the same Holy Spirit that we do. Is that fair enough? I mean, if you think about it, this is not a new issue. I mean, it's a new issue, but it's not a new struggle. Do you know that back in, in the early days of the church, St. Augustine was, was wrestling with whether or not believers should serve in the army and fight? Should a believer be a part of an army? I mean, it's, it's, not, a new, it's not a new kind of struggle. Polar opposite beliefs. But what's happening is this. I don't want to jump, because I don't want you to miss the point. What's happening is we're building walls and we're allowing those walls to mean that we betray one another and even move towards hatred towards one another. And when that happens, the devil wins every time. Every time. So here is what, oh, by the way, when we begin to move towards hate for one another, we also see that the love of many will grow cold. 
Interesting thing here. That word love in the Greek is the agape kind of love. It's an agape love. That is a God-given love. That is a deeper love than just phileo, brotherly love, or eros love is attractional love. It is a love that is undeniably rooted in God the Father. Your love for each other that comes from the Father could grow cold if you allow for bitterness and brokenness and offense where it doesn't need to be. Be careful. Because the enemy is a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour, and you are in his sights. Because if he can make you mad at somebody else in this room, you could very well leave this room and decide at that point, I ain't going back to any church. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Guess what you've just done? You've just put yourself out there all by yourself to be sniped off by the enemy. Good job. That, that was flipping. I shouldn't have said it like that. But how many times does it happen? Here's the thing. We don't trust in horses. Or we don't trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We give each other some space and we respect each other. And we do as we're called to do but we don't let that break our love and our fellowship because a cord of two, a strand of three is not easily broken. But one person alone doesn't have a chance. Does that make sense? So in the last days, that's what we're going to see and I believe that's what we're seeing. Now, you notice that I didn't tell you whether to wear a mask or not, right? You you did take note of that, right? And you did notice that I did not tell you to get the jab or not, right? You'll also notice that I've never stood up here and told you what to do. But I have and I will continue to say it's your temple and it's your responsibility to listen to God, figure out what's best for you, and do it. Amen? Amen? Is that fair? All right, so... Oh, but, and you can encourage each other too, by the way. I'm not saying you should never talk about it. In fact, we should be talking. Can I just say, when you shut down the argument because you're right and everybody else is wrong, you have just violated the most gruesome uh, communication error you could possibly get. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the whole situation. Think about it, guys. It's... <laughs> You ever feel like you're being played like a violin? (laughs) You ever thought to just step back and go, wait a minute, what's really going on here? Maybe I'm not being told everything by anybody. Maybe I need discernment. Just maybe. If we can stay unified as the people of God, if we can humble ourselves before each other, if we can love each other with compassion and kindness. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing people say, oh, you died of COVID. See, your vaccination didn't work. God help us.
if that's the kind of compassion we have for people. See, you died of COVID. Guess you wish you would have been vaccinated now. God help us if in the midst of the most difficult days of our lives, that is our heart's response. It should never be. But we're in the last days. That's what the Bible said is going to happen. So do not be afraid. Because the one who endures to the end will be delivered. And then the scripture says, the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all of the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And God's people said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Psalm 121, verse 1, says this. Give me just a second to find it here. I was talking with a friend of mine. And he was telling me that, he said, Jeff, man, it takes a long time for you to find those passages. I'm like, yeah, dude, I got 47-year-old eyes. Of course I. He's like, yep, welcome to the club, right? Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not sleep or slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and your going both now and forever. Amen. That is who we trust in. And you might say to me, well, wait a minute. How does that work if people are dying in Afghanistan and my friends who are believers have died of COVID? Here's how that works. Jesus never promised you would not suffer. He never promised that your life would be, would be painless. He never promised that you wouldn't be persecuted. In fact, it was the absolute opposite. He said, the world will hate you because of me. He said, you will have trials and troubles and tribulations. And you will have times when you will want to fear. But do not fear, because I have overcome the world. But here's the deal. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So even in the midst of suffering that ends our life, it's really the beginning of eternal life that God has promised to those who know him. I want to invite you today to trust in Jesus. There's a whole lot more to this passage that, that I'd like to get to, but we, we're out of time. Here's what I want to say to you. It is not going to get better in terms of things that are going on in the world. What we're going to see is a division between the people of God and those who are against God. There's going to be a, a more intense uh, uh, march against God. That's what we can expect. But we can also expect that our God will remain faithful to those who will love Him. So I want to invite you to love Him. I want to invite you to trust in Jesus with all of your heart. 
I want to invite you to not only begin a relationship with him, but to be surrendered to him even now if you're a believer who's taken some things back. Give him your time and give him your talents and give him your money and give him your home and give him your family and give him your job. Give him your heart. Let him have everything. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, this is your reasonable act of service. We you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? If you're in this place today and you've never trusted Jesus, or if you're watching by TV or if you're watching on, online, I want to invite you to trust in Jesus now. He loves you more than you could ever possibly know. And all of these things that we're talking about, the very worst of the worst, the believer is spared from it. One day Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Father in heaven, I pray. I pray that, that, that your, your, your passage of Scripture would, would light a fire inside of us to be more passionate about you, to be more bold about you, to be more courageous, and to not fear. God, may we learn from our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now. May we see their courage, their faith, their determination to love you, even to the end. And Lord, may we be like them. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.